You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of Daniel. If you have your Bibles ready, let's join him now. And so we studied in chapter 11 uh, that 11 and 12 are these future prophecies that speak towards in future fulfillment of Daniel's 70th week, which is just a seven-year period um, that, is, that's, that needs to happen before Jesus comes back to earth and sets up his kingdom. At the end of that seven-year period, uh, Israel will have an end of their Jesus up as the Messiah and as their king. So the seven-year period's got to happen, and Daniel's getting a picture, a foreshadowing of what that seven-year period is going to be like. And just a little spoiler alert for you, it's not going to be pretty. It's going to be a, a horrible time like the world has never seen before. But um, there's, there's both an immediate context to these prophecies, and then there's a more future fulfillment of these prophecies as well. Let's go ahead and look and just encourage you guys to get on the church website, listen to chapter 11, and listen to all the previous chapters so you have a full idea of what's going on. But uh, for the sake of time, we're just going to start at verse 40, where it says, At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, and the king of the north shall come against him, like a whirlwind with chariots, horsemen, with many ships. And he shall enter the countries and overwhelm them and pass through. He shall also enter the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape from his hand. Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver, and over the precious things of Egypt. Also the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. But news from the east and the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. And he shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end and no one will help him. So we just have a little snippet of a prophecy of the Antichrist and his army uh, going to battle um, in in the battle of Armageddon towards the end of the tribulation period. Tribulation period being that seven years um, that, that has to be fulfilled before Jesus is able to set up his kingdom. And so you'll have to remember that just like Matthew 24 and 25, this chapter we're going to go through tonight kind of has a telescoping lens, okay? It's going to kind of zoom in and focus on one area. It's going to zoom in and focus on another. And because of the way it's written, it's not necessarily in consecutive order. So right now, we're kind of getting just a snippet of the end that uh, the Antichrist is going to go to battle in Armageddon. And he's going to you know, be coming against many armies in the world who, who dislike him, have realized he's a crazy man, he's a psycho. And so they're going to come to battle against him as well. And uh, the other armies, they're not much better. They're also you know, full of some pretty wicked, wicked men. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and you might just, you know, in your own time, go to BiblePlaces.org. And uh, just look at some of these areas. It's pretty neat to, you know, look at the Jezreel Valley and look at the Valley of Armageddon and to look at these. I did today, you know, just look at these beautiful fields. Uh, You know, I've driven through them on buses and and to look at these fields and to say, man, this is where this last battle uh, is going to culminate there in the Valley of Armageddon. So at that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince. This is chapter 12, verse 1. Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who's found written in the book. So we kind of zoom up back to the crow's eye, you know, we zoom back up from the battle of Armageddon and we kind of just get a, an overview again of what this time is going to be like, this time of tribulation. And it says at this time during the tribulation, the Antichrist gathering uh, to the valley of Armageddon, it says Michael will stand up, this great prince. Now Michael is one of only two, uh, the only two angels who are named in the Bible. We've got Michael and we've got Gabriel. And it seems that whenever um, Israel is mentioned, you've got Michael there 
and he's fighting for Israel. We studied in chapter 10 that it appears there are actually demonic powers over each nation, and there's great wars going on in the spiritual realm between you know, these powers and ranks and rulers uh, in the spiritual realm. And we see there was a, a power over Persia, and there was a power over... Um, well, you've got the Israeli power, and that seems to be Michael in this case. And um, Michael you know, called the archangel in Jude chapter 1, verse 9, and he's called the champion over God's people, always linked with Israel. He's kind of the, the prince of Israel there. And um, it says that Michael is going to stand up, and there's, you know, while he's standing up, there's going to be this time of trouble like the world's never seen before. Now, what's it talking about, Michael standing up? It's kind of like this, you know, it's one of the great climaxes in a story. It's one of the great parts in a movie. It's not necessarily the final battle yet that Michael stands up, but, you know, when you watch a movie and there just comes this part where there's this totally awesome warrior and he says, enough, and he gets his sword and he stands up and he goes out to fight. You know, everybody's heart starts beating a little bit faster and that's what's happening here when Michael the archangel stands up, you know, after 6,000 plus years of history of watching the devil run rampant on the world, he just finally goes, you know, the Lord says, have at it, Michael. And Michael, the prince of Israel, stands up to fight. And if you'll flip over to Revelation, keep your finger in Daniel 12, but flip over to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, we see what is happening. Okay, put your finger there in Revelation 12. We're going to come there in a second. I want you to be there. Now flip to Job, which is right before Psalms, pretty much in the middle of your Bible, Flip to Job chapter 1, verse 6, okay? It's after Esther, it's before Psalms, you got Job. Looks like Job. Job chapter 1, verse 6 tells us this. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him and around his household and around all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And so we see there in Job that Satan has had this ability ever since the fall, ever since he um, you know, took a third of the angels with him and, and was kicked out of heaven, he's had this ability to go into the presence of, of the Lord and to slander people. And he'll just go up there and he'll slander you and he'll slander me and he'll just accuse and just falsely accuse all of us and rightly accuse all of us, can, you know, trying to condemn us. Okay, and that's been happening since, since he was kicked out of heaven. Well, now let's look over in Revelation chapter 12 because this is this moment, this exciting time when Michael stands up like a hero. He's not the hero, but the Lord's using him as a hero for Israel. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, we see that war broke out in heaven. Imagine what that's going to be like. A full-on war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. This is Satan. And the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of the brethren 
who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Okay, so now keep your finger there. And um, we're going to see here that uh, even though Job uh, tells us that Satan comes and he accuses the brethren, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 tells us that when Satan accuses us, if you're a Christian, you have an attorney up there in heaven. You have an advocate up there pleading your case in heaven. And his name is Jesus. He's the mediator between God and man. And though, yes, we have a list of sins against us, and Satan and his angels go through that list and say, God, how could you love Rory? He does this and this, and he said this, and he went here. How could you love him? And then our attorney stands up in heaven, and he straightens his tie, you know. (laughs) And he says, see these holes in my hand? I've bought Rory with my blood. I took Rory's sin upon me. He is innocent. And for the rest of eternity, Satan, you know, for the rest of, not eternity, until this time, Satan is accusing all of us. And then this glorious moment in heaven happens when Michael stands up and he fights and he kicks out the accuser out of heaven. And Revelation chapter 12, verse 12 says this. says, therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. And woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. Now remember, verse 1 of Daniel chapter 12 tells us that there will be a time of trouble that never was, that Israel never saw as a nation, the world has never seen before. What is this great time of trouble on the world? This great trouble is Satan is kicked out of heaven And he comes down to earth. And it says here that he's got great wrath because he knows he's got short time. And we've all been part of athletics and we've all watched sporting events, haven't we? Where the clock is winding down, you know, on the scoreboard. And what starts happening, you know, in basketball? They start fouling, right? You know, the the other team starts fouling and starts trying to stop the clock. And, you know, he's slapping. He's pulling your shorts up. You know, he's pulling your shorts down. He's, you know, slapping all over the place. Or in football, you know, they're grabbing face masks and they're just playing dirty. That's exactly what Satan does here in in chapter 12 of Revelation. He starts to play dirty. All, you know, what do they say? No holds barred or whatever they call, you know. It's just, there's no more rules. And Satan just goes crazy on the earth. And verse 13 tells us, That when the dragon saw that he'd been cast to the earth, he persecutes the woman, this is Israel, who gave birth to the male child, which is Jesus. But the woman, Israel, was given two wings of a great eagle, perhaps a jumbo jet, that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she's nourished for a time and time and half the times from the presence of the serpent. Some think that this is Petra over in the country of Jordan, this city that's dug out in the rocks of Petra. And it looks like a perfect place to hide from, from attack. And it says that the devil, the serpent, spewed water of his mouth like, out, of, out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman. The earth opened up its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman. And he went over to make war with the rest of her offspring. This is perhaps uh, tribulation Christians or other Jewish believers who are spread throughout the world who keep the commandment of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So Daniel is given this foresight, this prophecy of a time of trouble. And during that time of trouble, Mike, you know, right before it, Michael's going to stand up, kick Satan out of heaven. Satan's going to come to earth and just go crazy in in vengeance and in sucker punches uh, to the world and it says in daniel chapter 12 verse 1 that it's going to be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time so you think of all that israel has been through all of the wars with the philistines all the wars against the amalekites and the midianites all the wars um you know of the babylonians and the you know, Grecians, and that battle we read in chapter 11 of the, the uh, 
Antiochus army and the Egyptian army for that period of time. All the wars that we can think of, like the Romans in 70 AD and how bad of a massacre that was against the Jews. We think about World War II and, you know, the Holocaust and how bad that was. Six million Jews slaughtered by the Nazi regime. And yet none of it compares to what's going to happen, what we read of, when Satan goes crazy against Israel. Um, And we read in Matthew chapter 24, verse 25, Jesus says, and why don't you go ahead and flip there because it gives us an idea. Matthew 24, verse 25. This is a section in the Gospels called the Olivet Discourse. Jesus is upon the Mount of Olives. And he gives his disciples just a a picture of what's going to happen in the end time before he comes and sets his kingdom up. And Jesus says this, Matthew 24, 25. Or I'm sorry, Matthew 24, 15, typo in my notes. says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, Whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who's on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who's in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. Now some of you have got a total handle on this. And some of you have no clue what we're talking about tonight. And let me just give you my perspective of what's going on here. I think it's a biblical perspective. And yet... There's a lot of guys that love Jesus that think it's going to be laid out a a different way, but let me just give you my understanding. Um, Basically, I believe that the next event on God's prophetic time clock is the rapture of the church, where Christians who've been washed by the blood of Jesus will be caught up to be with Jesus in the clouds. Um, All of our Christian moms and dads and aunts and uncles, whoever's gone before us, their bodies will be caught up just before us. And we'll meet their souls in the air. And then we will be caught up into heaven. Jesus talks about it. Paul talks about it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. And that's where Paul talks about the rapture or the catching up of Christians. Okay, That begins, I believe, the seven-year period that we're talking about tonight called the tribulation, which just means trouble. It's going to be the seven-year period of trouble. And Jesus tells us, as well as John the Revelator in Revelation, That in those seven years, halfway through, three and a half years through, there will be this moment when the Antichrist comes into the temple in Jerusalem, which he's rebuilt. And he's going to say, stop sacrificing bulls and goats. and Stop worshiping Yahweh, you Jews. I'm here to tell you that I am God and I demand to be worshipped. And he's going to set up this crazy image in the temple, perhaps like some ultra hd tv you know that it just looks just like him and people are going to worship this guy people are going to worship the antichrist and that is called the abomination of desolation okay halfway through the tribulation halfway through that seven year period that's going to happen and that's really the point that the scriptures tell us that the great tribulation is going to begin and for the rest of that three and a half years for the rest of You know, for the rest of the seven years, for three and a half years, it is just going to be horrible, horrible, horrible on the earth. It's going to be that time that Michael has stood up against Satan, and Satan is just going to go crazy for three and a half years. So you've got Satan pouring out his wrath, and you've also got God pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world, all a chastening to the world who haven't worshipped God as their creator but rather worshipped the created thing. Now Jesus tells us there in Matthew 24, or 24, you know, he says, when you see that abomination take place, and if you're alive in that time, if you're reading it, did you catch the parentheses? Whoever reads, let him understand. If you're in the tribulation and you're reading this, I'm talking to you, is what Jesus is saying. He says, get out of Jerusalem. Flee to the wilderness. Man, I hope you're not pregnant. It's going to be a horrible trip. I hope you're not nursing babies. Don't get pregnant during the tribulation. Man, run to the wilderness, okay? And he says this, verse 21, for even there, then there will be great tribulation, such has not been 
since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be afterwards. And then listen to what Jesus says here. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. It is going to be so bad. And as you look at Revelation, you see just horrible, horrible time upon the earth that we can't even imagine. And if, if God wasn't merciful and ended it, all, all people would just be wiped out. But we see here, back in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, that at that time, at the time where it's just horrible, 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 okay, it says, your people shall be delivered, everyone who's found written in the book. As Romans chapter 11, verse 26 tells us, all Israel will be saved. By the end of the tribulation, the Jews will have realized What's gone on? That throughout history, they've rejected the prophets that God has sent to them. And they murdered and they killed the prophets that came and pled with them to turn from their sin. And as if that wasn't bad enough, they actually murdered God himself by hanging him on a tree. And after this time of massive spanking by God, a discipline time called the tribulation, at the end of the tribulation, they'll have put all the pieces together and they'll realize that Jesus was God and that what he had said would happen is happening. And it says that the deliverer in Romans chapter 11 will come out of Zion and he'll turn away all the ungodliness from Jacob and he'll take away their sins. All Israel one day will be saved. As we read in Daniel 12, at that time, your people will be delivered. But then listen to this at the end of verse 1. Everyone who's found written in the book. What book is this? Can you get it at the Crick County Public Library? I want to know. Some book where a name, your name is written? In Exodus chapter 32 verse 32, Moses knew about this book. And he says this, Yet now, Lord, if you will forgive their sin... Great, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you've written. You know, Moses had such a shepherding heart for his people. He didn't want them to be destroyed. And he said, Lord, if you don't have mercy on them, don't have mercy on me. And what a heart that's to have, huh? Blot my name out of the book. You know, Paul had the same heart in Romans chapter 9. He says, I have such a heart for Israel that I would rather be accursed and go to hell so that my countrymen would be saved. But Moses knew that there was a book that names are written in. Revelation tells us that it's called the Lamb's Book of Life. It's Jesus' book where names are written that everyone who has put their trust in him for the forgiveness of sins, they've called Jesus Savior, but they've also called Jesus Lord. Their names are written in that book, the Lamb's Book of Life. As Peter preached Jesus on the day of Pentecost, he says that the Lord has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, or in the Greek, both Christ and Kyrios, both Savior and Master. And for those of you here tonight who have Jesus as your Master, as the authority of your life, and as Savior. You realize that it's his blood that takes away your sin. It's his perfect life. It's his perfect death. And it's his glorious resurrection that gives you eternal life and forgiveness. Then in your heart, you've had faith in him. And you can almost hear that pen put to pad in heaven, can't you? Rory Rogers. I believe my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. How about you? Just say your name right now. Annette Jones. Convicted, huh, Annette? (laughs) No, just kidding. Annette, we joke a lot. You know, has your name been written in the Lamb's Book of Life? It's an important question to ask. And we're going to read about this book in just a little bit. 
But everyone, and we're, we're even looking at Israel here. This, the context is Israel in this case. That even Jews will have their name written in that book and they will be delivered in the tribulation period. Verse 2, you guys finally ready to move on in Daniel? Done a lot of jumping around. Verse 2 of Daniel chapter 12. <clears throat> and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. It's here that we see in verse 2 the resurrection of the dead. And there are going to be two different groups involved in the resurrection. The first group is going to be resurrected from the dead. Now keep in mind, when we speak of the resurrection, we're not talking about a soul in eternity, okay? And that's what a lot of Christians in the New Testament think about. They think soul eternal, you know? And and that's great, and that's true, but that's not different than what a lot of pagans believed back then. They believed in, like, some soul in eternity. What Jesus tells us is that even our bodies will be resurrected. Is that crazy or what? We had some guests over last night, and we spent a little bit of time talking about the resurrection and that this body is going to be taken up out of the urn that it's going to be in or the casket or if I was dumped at sea or wherever, you know, wherever I'm at. The Lord is going to take that body and he's going to take it and he's going to make it a glorious heavenly new body he's going to transform it and make it beautiful muscular and you know chiseled i'll have that chin i've always been lacking and a little bit of the adam's apple will be taken off probably you know a little liposuction off the midsection. okay anyways this wish list out there for if the lord cares but you know each one of you okay you're going to have this resurrected body and when you're lifted up some of the world will be resurrected to everlasting life. Doesn't that sound great? Did you know this is the first time in the Old Testament that that phrase everlasting life is used? Sounds great. Everlasting life. Lasting, perpetual, eternal, always life. But then there's another group of people who will have their bodies resurrected but this time to everlasting shame and the word shame here speaks of a painful emotion resulting from an awareness of inadequacy or guilt have you ever been found guilty in something or have you ever known of someone that they just did something so heinous and they were convicted of it and they just were aware that They have ruined their life. They're going to jail forever or something like that. And just that sobering moment of shame because they are aware that they have screwed up royally. And every one of us has. None worse than the other. But that moment that you realize that you're a a sinner. Man, there are going to be people that want, there will be a moment they realize they screwed up. And forever they will be in their shame. And it also says everlasting contempt. Speaking of forever abhorring. It speaks of hate coupled with disgust. Hell is not going to be a place where we party with our high school friends. Or our favorite band members from KISS or whatever. Hell is going to be a place of forever torment, disgust, and abhorring yourself for the decisions that you'd made of rejecting Jesus. Acts chapter 24, verse 15. You don't have to flip there, but Paul says, as he's defending himself before the Jews, he says, I have hope in God which they themselves also accept that there will be a resurrection from the dead, both of the just and the unjust. This being so, I always myself strive to have a conscience without offense towards God and man. Paul knew that there would be a resurrection of the dead, of the just and of the unjust, of those that will be going to everlasting life and of those that will be going to everlasting shame and contempt. 
But he says this, because I know there will be that resurrection and there will be that judgment, I always live to have a good conscience before God and before fellow men. You know, for those that are going to go to hell, they're choosing to have their shame placed upon them. But the Bible tells us that on the cross, Jesus despised the shame and took our sins upon himself. When it says he despised the shame, it means he didn't care about the shame. He loved us so much that he let every filthy thing we've ever done be laid upon him who never even knew what it was like to sin. What an incredible gift he gave us when he laid his life down on the cross. Revelation chapter 20 speaks of two different resurrections. If you want to flip back over to uh, Revelation chapter 20. The first resurrection is found in verse 4 of Revelation chapter 20. Where it says, And I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who'd been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years. So, We've got our timeline here, right? Okay, the seven-year timeline I've been giving you. First part of the timeline, I believe, is actually the rapture of the church. Okay, then the Antichrist comes on the scene. Halfway through, the abomination of desolations takes place. Then things get horrible, horrible, horrible. And then Jesus comes back and conquers his enemy. And we'll get to that later on today. But then, after Jesus comes back, there's a thousand years Where on this earth, Jesus is going to rule and reign from the throne of David, just as was promised. And we'll get to be here with him for a thousand years in our glorified bodies, okay? But there's a group of people who died during that seven-year period who loved Jesus. And they themselves will be resurrected. And that will all be part of this first resurrection, the rapture of the church. And those that during the... uh, tribulation had died for jesus's name they're all resurrected and they're all seen there in the millennial reign that's the first resurrection but then verse 11 of revelation chapter 20 tells us about the second resurrection and it comes at the end of that 1000 years of jesus ruling and reigning on the earth says this i saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Here's, listen to this resurrection. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So there's a second resurrection that takes place at the end of time. Okay, You know, it's at the end of the world. Okay, And all of the non-Christians, people who despised Christ, people that rejected the good news of Jesus, they will finally be resurrected up out of the sea and out of the ocean. And just everyone who's ever lived, even Hades and all death is going to give it up. And all of these people are going to stand before this big throne. And the judge of the universe is going to judge these people. And they're going to stand and they're going to try to be judged by their works. But all of their works are going to be found insufficient to make them right people, to make them good people. And then it comes down to one final thing in the, in the trial. There's a book that's opened. And it's that book we were talking about earlier. The Lamb's Book of Life. And this is the ultimate thing. It says, whoever's name, verse 19 or verse 18, verse 15, what is that? 15. Anyone who's found not written in the book of life will be cast into hell. 
John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. So let me read it to you. Jesus says, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who've done evil to the resurrection of condemnation and judgment. So think about yourself right now. Think about your body. Think about this day when you're going to be resurrected. Are you going to be part of the first resurrection where you're going to heaven and you're going to get to be with Jesus in a glorified body in paradise with him forever, worshiping him and getting to partake of what he has earned? Or are you going to be one of those who hardens your heart against God and stiffens your neck and, you know, just, no, God, no, God, I don't want you, God, I won't, God, I won't bow the knee to you. Then you'll be part of that last judgment and you'll be cast into hell forever here daniel is able to look all the way to the end where deliverance will be made by the resurrection you know jesus won that for us when he was the first one to rise from the dead and daniel is clear back there in the old testament and he says how long lord how long you know all these battles and these waves of battle and just persecution against the jews and just keep i'm losing breath and i'm just getting slammed lord how long oh lord how long and the lord shows him one day daniel one day there will be a resurrection buddy there will be a resurrection and all of these difficulties you face they're not the end of it the end of it is very glorious if you'll put your faith and your trust in me daniel i promise you life i promise you everlasting life If you'll stay true to me, I promise you a place with myself if you endure. But there's also a deliverance of judgment. All those that are wicked against Israel, Daniel is told, will be punished. And the righteous will be vindicated as all of those unrighteous people are resurrected and they are judged. As the righteous judge balances the scales out of judgment. And so, there's going to be a resurrection. Which one will you be a part of? Verse 3 of Daniel chapter 12. Should go a little bit faster from here on out. We've got to finish it tonight. So, Daniel chapter 12 verse 3. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever. And so all throughout Daniel's time and up until today, if you walk with wisdom, if you walk circumspectly, which means that you're, you're aware of potential consequences of your actions, if you walk in godly wisdom, if you will heed the scriptures and what's laid out for you in them, walking in sound judgment, then you will shine like the brightness of the firmament or like the brilliance of the sky. Think of the beautiful sky on its brightest, most glorious day that you've ever seen. And man, if you'll walk in wisdom, there will be glory. There will be glory for you. And ultimately, that glory is to point to Christ. And so, the wise will have an awesome reward. But then also, those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever. Those who are witnesses of Jesus. Has anyone here, you don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever turned anybody to righteousness? Have you ever turned anybody to Jesus? It's it's a call on our lives. It's part of the Great Commission. It's part of why the Holy Spirit has come to dwell in every one of us. That we would be part of God's mission on earth in turning people from their sins and to worship and love the living God. I encourage you, cry out for the power of the Lord to do that. And if you will, You will shine like the beautiful stars in the heavens. And you'll have many crowns in heaven. Paul says to the Thessalonians, what is our hope and our joy and our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of the Lord at his coming? Let's say I got to lead every single one of you to righteousness, which I didn't. You know, other people planted and other people watered, right? God gave the increase. Let's say I got to be a part of that in your lives. And we get there in heaven. What is my reward and what is my crown? You guys are like jewels, would be like jewels in it. You guys would be shininess at the presence of God's coming. 
You are the reward. And James tells us if any one of us would turn a sinner from his ways, um, then he would save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Also, as we get on that idea that if you've turned many to righteousness, you'd be like stars twinkling in the sky or shining in the sky. You guys know Romans chapter 10, what it says about the feet of those that take the gospel out to the world? It says that they are beautiful feet. You might, they might be stinky and they might have some funkiness and one toe might be way longer than another one. But man, Paul tells us in Romans, they are beautiful, beautiful feet. Because how are people going to know if nobody tells them? right? Think about the agents for Christ and just their life's mission is to just go across the nation and tell people about Jesus. And I bet there's going to be a few twinkling stars, you know, uh, there on that day. And so uh, all of these things sound great, right? You know, the, the shining like the firmament and the twinkling of the stars. And then the question is begged, when is this all going to happen? Let's look at verse four of Daniel 12. But you, Daniel, shut up. I know that's what you guys are thinking. No. You, Daniel, shut up the words. You got to finish it. And seal the book until the time of the end. Why would the Lord tell Daniel to shut up the words and to seal the book till the time of the end? Uh, It's not so much put a lock on it and make sure no one reads it, but it's more preserve it, you know, bind it. Make sure it lasts until the end. And there's a long ways until these things happen. People are going to need to read this stuff, Daniel. So make sure the things that I've shown you in the book of Daniel, these 12 chapters, make sure they are preserved. Okay? And then he says this. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. You know, there's both the immediate context and then the, then the future context, Right? But uh, we see that when, when it all comes about, when all of these prophecies are fulfilled, first of all, many shall run to and fro. And this is an awesome prophecy about the end times and when all this stuff is going to be fulfilled that we're reading about. Okay? First of all, many shall run to and fro. Sir Isaac Newton, you guys have heard of him, he actually was a lover of the Lord Jesus. And he believed that Daniel's words here were true, that many would run to and fro, and the idea would be great geographic um, traveling, okay? And uh, he said this, Sir Isaac Newton, if men are to run to and fro across the world, men must eventually travel at 50 miles an hour, right? Well, one of his colleagues, Voltaire, was an atheist, and he said this, You doddering fool. Every thinker knows if a man travels over 40 miles an hour, his heart will stop. How does Newton think this prophecy will be fulfilled literally? What a fool. Okay? So crazy to live in this day and age. Now think about David, King David. He lived a thousand years before Jesus. And think about how he traveled and how he sent messages. You know, on a great day, on a speedy journey, he'd probably travel by horseback, right? And, and, you know, if he needed to send out a message, he'd probably send a a runner or someone on horseback or someone by chariot, okay? Um, Then think 3,000 years later to George Washington in the late 1700s. How would he travel and how would he communicate? The same way. By horseback. By carrier pigeon i don't know you name it you know old school ways right over a three thousand year period hardly anything had changed but guess what you who live in almost 2012 you who live in the transportation age you know trips that we you know that used to take months or years to the other end of the world take less than a day Tops, they take a day, and that's because of layovers. We could get to the other end of the planet in a matter of 14 hours or less. We live in a day where we are able to run to and fro and to get from Africa to Russia to China to Jamaica, wherever we want to go, right? So incredible to see that many will run to and fro. Then we see that knowledge shall increase. Not only do we live in the transportation age, but we live in the information age. Consider the information age that we're living in. The internet 
made up of knowledge about any and every subject known to man is available to us today. And now that we have, you know, smartphones, you know, we're able to anywhere we're at, right here where I'm at, you ask me a question, I could look up the answer to it because of smartphones. You know, we, we have the information, literally, if you have a touch phone, it's at your fingertips. That's the age that we live in, fulfilling Daniel's prophecy. Listen to what Wikipedia says about the information age. It's also known as the computer age or the digital age. Is an idea that the current age will be characterized by the ability of individuals to transfer information freely and to have instant access to knowledge that would have been difficult or impossible to find previously. The idea is linked to the concept of a digital age or digital revolution and carries the ramifications of a shift, a shift of tradition, traditional industry from the industrial revolution brought through by industrialization and an economy based upon manipulation of information to the information society. Nowadays, we actually have a unit of measurement for information. It's called a byte, right? Daniel didn't have that. You know, they had scrolls and things like that, but we're talking bytes. How much info? You got bytes and kilobytes and megabytes and gigabytes and terabytes and petabytes and exabytes and zettabytes and yottabytes, okay? Knowledge will increase. 80% of the scientists who ever lived are alive right now. Knowledge has increased. 70% of the medicines that have ever been invented have been invented since World War I. In fact, today, September 28th, marks uh, this day in history from 1928 where Scottish biologist and pharmacologist Alexander Fleming developed uh, penicillin when he noticed a bacteria killing uh, mold growing in his laboratory. We've got, uh, you know, Wikipedia where people go and they write their own stuff and write their own articles and write knowledge. Over 19 million articles on Wikipedia. As Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, he said, of making many books, there is no end and much study is wearisome to the flesh. I wonder how Solomon would have felt in the digital age, right? One man said as that he drew a graph of the expanse of knowledge. And from the beginning of time to 1848, if you were to make a graph, the amount of knowledge would be a bar one inch tall. From the beginning of time to 1848, one inch tall, right? From 1848, 100 years later to 1949, you would have a three inch bar, Okay. Then from 1949 to 1988, you would have a bar 100 feet above the Washington Monument being 666 feet tall. That's the expanse of knowledge, according to one man. But listen to this website that I put on my Facebook page today, and you can go back and watch the the video. There are one zillion web pages on the internet that we have access to. There are 65,000 iPhone web apps. There are 10,500 radio stations. There are 5,500 magazines and 200 plus cable TV networks that we have access to as Americans today. It's been said that more video was uploaded to YouTube in the last two months than if ABC, NBC, and CBS had been airing new content 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year since 1948 when ABC was started up. More YouTube videos have been uploaded in two months than all the information since then. And then finally, the computer on your cell phone today is a million times cheaper and a thousand times more powerful and about a hundred thousand times smaller than the one computer MIT had in 1965. So, knowledge will increase, Daniel is told. When that time's going to come, that Jesus is going to come back, people will be going to and fro, and knowledge will increase. Are we living close to seeing our Savior? Absolutely. Verse 5. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one on the riverbank, the other on that riverbank. We're talking about angels here. And one said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, how long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? 
Then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river. He held up his right hand and his left hand to the heaven and swore by him who lived forever and ever that it should be for a time, times, and half a time. And so how long, Daniel asks, how long, you know, is this horrific time from when Michael stands up and fights the devil to earth to this period of time, the great tribulation that the world has never known, how long is this going to last? And this angel lifts up his hand, which is a sign where he's vowing to tell the truth. And not only does he lift up one hand, he lifts up two hands. This is a serious thing as God reveals himself to us that you guys, it'll be, what was the number? Time, times, and half a times, or as most commentators believe, three and a half years. I should say one area of of belief says three and a half years. So tribulation period, seven years. Halfway through, the Antichrist and the abomination of desolation takes place. Then three and a half years of absolute hell on earth, okay? And as Revelation 12 says, 1,260 days is how long that's going to last, okay? Um, And it says here, and when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished, The Lord is going to allow Israel to go through a time of trial that the world and the nation has never known so that they will be completely at the end of themselves so that they will realize there is nothing they can do in their power to deliver themselves. They are completely at the mercy of the God of Israel. And it's then that God's going to come and he's going to rescue them. This nation has got to know that they have no power to make it on their own. And that's what the tribulation is going to prove. You read Zechariah chapter 12, and you read Zechariah chapter 14, and you see that that nation is just, they're shattered. And they've got armies from all over coming to attack them. They've got their women being ravaged in the city. They've got their houses being plundered and looted. And they are at the end of themselves. They are being slaughtered. A majority of them have made it out to the desert, but there are still people that are just being trashed by Satan. And there is only one who will come and save them. And his name is Jesus. And he's going to come in the clouds of heaven, Revelation 19 says, riding on a white horse and with the armies of heaven riding with him, clothed in white linen. And Zechariah tells us that those are the saints riding with him. And we're going to come riding back on white horses with Jesus. And the Antichrist is going to turn all his weaponry on Jesus. And the other armies are going to turn all their weaponry on Jesus. And Jesus is just going to use the words out of his mouth to smite them and to wipe them. (laughs) he's going to wipe them out with just words and then he's going to come into jerusalem and zechariah tells us he's going to set his feet on the mount of olives on the mount of olives and then over under the um the uh mount moriah i believe it is and it says that the earth is going to shake and split and this river is going to come up out of the mount of olives and it's going to flow from the mediterranean sea out to the dead sea and that river is going to bring life to israel that it's never had before since the days of sodom and gomorrah when it was turned into a pillar of salt when jesus comes back there will be noticeable geographical uh differences on the planet an exciting time But make no mistake, Israel will be at the end of themselves and will be completely shattered. And Jesus tells us, you can either fall on the rock, and Jesus is the rock. You can either fall on the rock and be broken. Lord, I'm broken, I'm a sinner, I've disobeyed you. I appeal to your mercy to forgive me of my sins. Please forgive me. I declare you to be my Lord. It takes brokenness to cry that out to the Lord. And you can either be broken or, Jesus says, you can have the rock fall on you and it will grind you to powder. Israel is going through a time where they rejected the rock and the rock is falling on them and is grinding them to powder, breaking them. You know, the wise people, it says there, uh, the wicked will do wickedly. I'm sorry, I'm skipping here. Verse 8 says, although I heard, I did not understand. And then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end? What will be the outcome of all of this? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white, and refined. In the tribulation period, there are going to be a group of people that are going to fall on their face before Jesus, and they're going to have their sins washed away. And you read about it in Revelation chapter 19, verse 14, and Revelation 6, 9, 7, 8. 
you know, all throughout you read of these saints from the tribulation being clothed in white. And then there's going to be a group of people that says, but the wicked, there in Daniel verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 10, but the wicked will do more wickedly. And none of the wicked will understand, but the wise will understand. These wicked have had strong delusions sent over them that they would believe the lie. And they just won't change. They just won't repent. The very end of the book of Revelation, when all of this is end, John just says, hey, he who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. Because there's going to come a time where there's no opportunity to change anymore. You've made your choice. You've made your decision to reject Jesus. And if you're holy, awesome. You're holy. You're going to be holy. But if you're wicked, you're wicked. And nothing's going to change that. There will be a time when change stops. Verse 11, for the sake of time, we're just going to kind of breeze through the rest. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, and that's the abomination of desolation, and the abomination of desolation set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Okay? Um, Revelation chapter 12, verse 6 tells us that that period is actually going to be 1,260 days. Close, right? But there's a 30-day difference between what Daniel is told and what Revelation 12 tells us. Now, what are those 30 days? There's a couple thoughts, just a thought. Um, Perhaps it's the 30 days of Jesus coming back and just showing off his stuff as he's conquering his enemy. Perhaps it takes a little longer than just, you know, we kind of picture him coming down and just, just like wiping everybody out. I mean, perhaps he's just showing everybody and watch this little sword move between his legs, you know, and watch this, you know, the sword of his mouth. You know, he's just like, you guys see how awesome I am and what you rejected? Because Zechariah tells us that people are going to look on him whom they pierce and they're going to mourn like one mourns for their only son. They're going to say, we killed you. And perhaps for 30 days, the Lord is just going to be cleaning house and setting up, you know, getting the abomination of desolation out of the temple, just cleaning up. And and we're going to be a part of that. Perhaps that's, just saying perhaps, that's what that is, right? And then it says, verse 12, blessed is he who waits and comes to 1,335 days. So, we're now at 45 days past the second coming of Jesus. Now, why would it be better to last 45 days more? Like, isn't it all great? Well, Jesus says that after the second coming, there's going to be a judgment. Matthew chapter 25, it's called the sheep and the goats judgment. And people are going to be judged based on how they treated Israel during the tribulation. If you took care of the nation of Israel, Jesus says, then you took care of me. If you treated them with, you didn't take care of them, then you didn't take care of me. And they're going to be separated like sheep and goats. The sheep, come on in to the millennial reign. The goats, sorry, you're going to judgment. And so perhaps during that time, it's just the judgment's taking place and things are being set back in order for the millennial reign period. Okay? Verse 13, but you go your way till the end for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. This is a beautiful closing verse because we've known Daniel since he was 15 years old. We watched him stand up in the midst of temptation to the king, the king Nebuchadnezzar, and say, king, I will not eat this meat that's been offered to idols. I can't do it, and I won't do it. And, and we've watched him stand up against King Darius and the satraps as they tried to trick him. And we watched him be thrown into the lion's den. And, you know, we've watched Daniel go from popularity and being made a governor in Babylon and just so popular and great. And, and we've watched him go into obscurity to where, you know, no one remembered that he was the interpreter of dreams except for the queen. And how encouraging that the Lord remembers. And he says to Daniel, hey, you're going to die. But you too will be part of that resurrection and you will be given an inheritance. And that's so encouraging. Thinking about the guys that get forgotten in their ministry, that get forgotten. You know, I have a friend that just, he's had, you know, you guys know him probably, Chris Cross. You know, he's just had horrible ministry experiences. I think like he's like Job, you know, and he'll just go and people will, he'll go 
plant a church and people will turn against him. He'll go and, and take over a church and people will tell him they're going to kill him. You know, and just, gosh, I think of him just moving and moving and just like, Lord, you, am I even useful to you? And I just think of what the Lord said to Daniel. Hey, just, you've been faithful. There's going to be a reward. Those of you that you're ministering and no one sees it, you're faithful. There's going to be a reward. There's going to be an inheritance. We're going to close by reading Daniel chapter 2, verse 35. And then we're going to read 2 Peter 3. We're just going to read it, and we're going to close. And, and uh, Stuart, I don't know if you're up to singing another song. How's the voice doing? Can't see your finger. Iffy? Okay. We'll just pray and close. And Daniel 2, 35. Remember the vision, the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had of that image? This, this statue, you know? And this statue had a head of gold. It was symbol of the Babylonian Empire. And it had a, uh, shoulders, arms, and, and chest of silver symbolizing the Medo-Persian Empire. Then it had a belly and thighs of bronze, a symbol of the Greeks. Then it had legs of iron, a symbol of the Romans coming in. And then the feet were of partly iron, partly clay, a symbol of the last kingdom before Jesus came. Right? Remember all that? In Daniel chapter 2, verse 35, then that he had in the vision, it says that the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And this stone that had come and crushed it all, that struck the image, became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Guys, that's what it's all about. There is a rock, and his name is Jesus. And he is going to come back one day. And he is going to crush every other kingdom and every other thing that exalts itself against him. He's going to crush it, and he's going to be the conqueror, and he is going to win. And if you're with him, you're going to win too. And he's going to set up his kingdom in this world, and we will be with him in these bodies. And that is an exciting thing that we will get to see him in all of his glory. And we'll close with 2 Peter 3, verse 8. You know, Daniel had the question in Daniel chapter 12, how long, how long till this all takes place? And Peter tells us, 2 Peter 3, 8, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, people back in Jesus' day thought Jesus was going to come right back. And here we are 2,000 years later, and people mock God and say, ha, he said he was going to come back. He's not coming back. Oh, he's coming back. It's just that his time frame is a little different than ours. And he loves you so much, he didn't want you to perish, but he wanted you to come to know him. That you could be part of his redemptive plan in world history. What an honor that is. Lord Jesus, we just are thrilled to finish the book of Daniel. And why don't we all just stand? We're thrilled to finish the book of Daniel and to have our eyes fixed upward towards you. To have our hearts crying out, Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And to think that we live in the age where people are going to and fro and and knowledge is just increasing at radical rates that, Lord, you could come back at any second. Like Peter says, just in this passage, he says, what manner of living ought we to have knowing that you're coming back so quickly Right now, Lord, would you examine our hearts? Every one of us, Lord, we get our eyes off the other person and we just, you and me, right now, Lord, look in my heart, look at my life. Search my heart. Lord, perform a scan. Are there any wicked ways in me? Are there any people or things that I have bowed my heart to as as my God, as my master, as the decision maker in my life, other than you? Lord, is there any created thing that I would rather have or experience than to have you and experience you? 
then Lord God, I want to vomit that out. I want to get rid of that. I want to repent. I want to say only you, Jesus. We want you. You're the rock that's going to come and conquer the kingdoms and set your kingdom up across the whole earth. And you're coming back soon, Lord. Come quickly. Forgive us of our sins. And we thank you, Lord, that you were merciful enough and gracious enough to include us in your plan throughout history of glorifying yourself. Lord, let us walk walks that are worthy of that calling. And right now, if you're here tonight and the Lord has been speaking to you that you have other gods before him, you have other passions and other desires, you have rival thrones before the throne of God, If the Lord's been speaking to you tonight and you're honest with yourself that your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, and if you were part of the second resurrection today, you would be cast into the lake of fire forever. And God in his mercy has brought you here tonight to hear this message, that if you would bow the knee, the knee of your heart to God and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I make you my savior. I receive you as my savior tonight. And I declare you to be the Lord and the master of my life. Give me forgiveness, Lord, and give me power to be your servant. Then today you can be saved. Cry that out to him and receive like a little child, the most precious gift you'll ever receive right now where you're at. Lord, we thank you for the book of Daniel. It's been a wonderful 12 weeks. So much to learn. And and Lord, as exciting as the times and the seasons are, we are more excited about you, Jesus. We are so thrilled at the gospel so thrilled at your redemptive plan. Lord, impress these things into our lives as we go out those doors tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Got the pulse tomorrow night. We'll see you then, if not sooner. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon, 97754. Or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.